What ho, cats and kittens. I trust you're all sufficiently numbed with horror and generally sickened by recent events to be able to take yet another episode of Discontent Provider. It's the show wherein a cockeyed anti-folk failure attempts to take reality by the scruff of its beastly little neck and haul it in front of a mirror in order that it might take a long, hard look at itself but ultimately fails because it turns out that reality is a soul-sucking psychic vampire and it's too late for me to do anything about it because I invited it into my life by making the conscious decision not to spend the whole of my adult years blackout drunk. Ah, to be young again, podcast pals. To be young, carefree and face down in a puddle of one's own, or mostly one's own, puke and piss. Good times? Oh my gosh, and giddy gumdrops, yes. In case you're wondering why old Foxy might be waxing nostalgic about semi-consciousness and bodily secretions, it's because yesterday saw our far-from-united kingdoms being treated to two altogether ghastly hellscapes within the same hour. Firstly, we saw Boris Johnson continuing his squirm and bluffathon at the uh, Covid inquiry, For me, the standout moment was when Hugo Keith KC uh, asked why Boris diverged from his oft-stated policy of following the science in the latter part of 2020. Following an initial hesitation, the Towsled's former Prime Minister got off to a flyer by pointing out that the scientific advice wasn't always clear and added, as though it were a defence, that he'd been inclined to listen to Matt Hancock. Now... As we all know, Matt Hancock has been shown to be a liar, a fraud, a rule-breaker and the basest kind of publicity-grubbing fuckstump. And although such points are shallow and trivial, it should always be borne in mind as well that he resembles a goldfish who was morphed by dark magic into a human at the exact moment of being sexually surprised. Citing him as a more reliable authority on anything than anyone who isn't actually dead is a flabbergasting example of warped thinking, is it not? The most chilling part of that exchange was that it was about the only thing that Johnson said uh, that day that I actually believed. Further gruesome prime ministerial doings were in store, of course, these from the current incumbent. At least he was the current incumbent when Arkham and I left the house. I I fancy that it goes without saying that uh, nobody is keen to relieve the uh, horrifying uh, details of Mr Sunak's emergency press conference so soon after the shocking events. So let's not dig too deeply into the painful details. Stripped down to its awful essence, he, while veering from froth-mouthed monomaniac to petulant adolescent who was getting back at people for picking on him, revealed that far from being inalienable, human rights were things that can be suspended or abandoned altogether according to the whim of his government. Yes, in order to push through his ripping Rwanda wheeze, he intimated that, as was predicted in the song at the end of episode 54, Rwanda and Swan Song, uh, he and his craven coterie of clusterfuckers will be ruling by decree henceforth. Well, more or less. All this, mark you, larded with praise for British values such as fairness, playing by the rules and waiting one's turn. Now, it takes a biggish sort of cove to admit when he's made something of a floater, but I, as ever, 
inspired by the frank and unwavering gaze as my supernally honest and noble canine confrere, will concede that I had his fixation on the Rwanda Dodge all wrong. You might recall that I theorised that it was merely an exercise in nastiness for the sake of nastiness, you know, pointless, unworkable, but ultimately nothing more than a squalid act of pandering for the benefit of an increasingly demented base, still cross about losing their pin-up girl Suella. But it can now be seen in a considerably darker and more malevolent light, to wit, that it now resembles a ploy to acclimatise us to the notion that stripping people of their rights is, you know, really no big deal when you actually come to think about it, and that if everybody has them, the whole business just becomes the most crashing bore, and a champ simply can't get on with things. It's an attitude that chimes with a sickening resonancy uh, with all those who have, for low these many years, been saying much the same thing on social media because they fail to understand that human rights are like emergency candles, life jackets, and that half a bottle of appalling sheet sherry at the back of the cupboard under the sink, inasmuch as, until one looks frantically for them and finds them missing, nobody thinks they'll ever be needed. That's more or less the gist of Rishi's remark as I heard them. Uh, that and a constant stream of digs and insinuations that if Labour doesn't fully support this vision for a cosy little dictatorship, the dire consequences of 200 people out of several thousands not being sent to Rwanda will be laid at their door. What will Labour do? He seemed to be sneering. And I must admit, cursing the cunt roundly the while, I might add, it is a valid question, although not perhaps for the reason he thinks it is. What are Labour going to do? Given that their opposition to the government's anti-strike legislation has been less than stellar, one suspects that those hoping for a bold Mr Smith goes to Washington style denunciation of the bill from Sir Keir Starmer might be advised not to hold their breath. Uh, with him being touted as a PM in waiting, even by many of the media mavens with a long-standing hostility to the left, uh, it is a question that becomes more important each day. What will Labour do? Well, we know that they won't immediately plunge into a deranged spending spree for a start. Sir Kay made that abundantly clear while speaking to the Resolution Foundation, pointing out that with an economy tanked by 13 years of mishandling by the Conservatives, a Labour government would face huge restraint, uh, huge constraints, sorry, on how much and on what they could lash out. He opined that growth must be Labour's obsession and that they would be ruthless in reviving the nation's fortune. So, what one wonders is the deal if you must have it EO. Is it a shameless grab for the support of the more centrist Conservative voters? Or is it a becoming frankness regarding the difficulties ahead designed to manage expectations and stop people from swooning all over the shop with giddy optimism? Well, that would certainly make a change and be one in the eye to those that grouchily but often correctly grumble that they'll all tell you what you want to hear, promise you the earth, and then when they're in, the bastards will shaft you. But is that what Starmer is up to? His recent paean of appreciation to the late Margaret Thatcher she sought to drag Britain out of its stupor by letting loose our natural entrepreneurialism, could lead one to suspect that he might be trying a little too hard to woo the Tory heartlands, or, more concerningly, reflect a sincere belief in Thatcherite values, 
values that were also lauded by Tony Blair, about whose premiership I think it's fair to say the jury is still very much out. In any event, it would appear that idle daydreams of him walking triumphantly into 10 Downing Street and ripping off his weird waxwork-looking face to reveal that he was Jeremy Corbyn all along seemed doomed to abject disappointment. For all that, however, perhaps he might have a point when it comes to tightening the purse strings or at least keeping them at the same state of tension as the Tories have them if such public spending as he does do is done genuinely for the benefit of the public rather than with countless fortunes being funneled directly into the offshore accounts of a lot of chums, cronies and donors, as would appear to be the norm rather than the exception neath the stewardship of Cameron, May, Johnson, Truss and Sunak. I mean to say, we know that that is what happens now, do we not? It's certainly possible that the blight of corruption will be removed from the political landscape, or at least diminished somewhat, under a change of management. That has to represent something of a positive, wouldn't you say? Of course, it's possible that Starmer et al. are every bit as bent as the uh, shitfuckers currently running the show, and the only reason we don't know about it is because they haven't had the chance to exercise any propensity for chicanery and ranny gazoo. By setting the bar low, by doing his best to appease the worst instincts in the electorate and prove that he's no woke warrior, is Starmer being a realist, dealing pragmatically with the actualities of a pretty fucking dreadful political climate? Again, it's possible, but how thick is the line twixt pragmatism and the shabbiest kind of opportunism? Is there a chance for anything new, anything radical, in the ever-thickening swamp of faux-centre-right consensus that has mired the corridors of Westminster for the past 20 years, if not a lot longer? Unfortunately, the only radicalism that the mainstream seems willing to countenance is that brand of uh, particularly ghastly populist tripe peddled by Farage, Tice and the ongoing theatre of midlife post-divorce crisis that is Lawrence Fox. Yes, they are still derided by most people, but their voices are still heard on the news. Whereas anyone speaking up for anything smacking of sincere leftism are silenced in stanta or ignored altogether. But look at the amount of coverage the Greens get compared to Monsieur Farage, a chap with not an MP to his party's name. I'm not excited about the prospect of a Starmer government, but that it can hardly fail to be an improvement is hard to deny. But will we notice the difference? And if we don't, what's to be done about it? These are the questions that haunt the minds of good eggs everywhere, cats and kittens, and ones which I, alas, can't answer. All we can do is fuck around and find out, I suppose. And on that low-key call to grudging, barely perceptible hope for change, I'd say that it's time we shut up shop for the week. Thanks for joining us, and uh, stick around for the song at the end, won't you? Also, if you'd care to like and share the arse out of this damn thing, we'd really appreciate it. As the sky darkens then, and as the night's chill sharpens its claws, from Arkham, the black and white dog, and myself, the silver fox, cheerio.
Colts here and noble knights arrive at the crossroads. Turning left or turning right or turning where the wind blows. Will he tread the sacred path his predecessors trod? Or will he take the low road like a blackguard Tory sod? The peasantry are waiting quickly with the will he go be he a scoundrel or a saviour? The people need to know. For lo, these many years the wicked barons had their way. Will he aid them in their robbery or send them all away? The choice is his to make, let him be guided by his conscience, or else succumb to the allure of centrist playwright nonsense. A true knight should be chivalrous, bring succour to the feeble, and stand against the gentry when they wish the villains evil. Champion of justice for all Britain's sons and daughters, shouldn't fear to find the swine who dare pollute their waters. Curl times are hard now, be under curse on the land. We call upon the champion to lend his mighty hand. Will he take up arms to lay to waste our enemies, or maintain the iron grip of neoliberal policies? Will Sakia fight for justice, for equality and right, or lend his sword to corporate force and plunge us into blight? Our lords and masters grant us votes every four or five years. Can we be sure those we vote for will lay to rest our fears? But also comforting to say what the future holds for us upon election day. Tis not for me to tell these nobles in Westminster's halls, with all their centrist posture in is just a load of balls. I can only dream of a land that grows clean by the banishing of the far right. Will Sakia tilt to windmills with the landsman Mervantine, or be just another cryptatory shite? I can tell you, gentles, as I lay to rest my verse, voting Labour might not help us, but it might not make things worse.